Pushkin. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Mm-hmm. My mom looked at me and hugged me, and she said, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away from you what you put here in your own mind. And that's exactly what happened. That's Dr. Edith Eager recalling the advice her mother gave her when she and her Jewish family were captured in Hungary and put on a cattle car to the Auschwitz concentration camp. Edith was just 16 at the time. Today, she's 94 years old. She's a psychologist who specializes in post-traumatic stress disorder and is the author of the book, The Choice, in which she describes how learning to control her own mind helped her to survive the Holocaust. Edith had been taught that lesson as a young child when she was training to be a dancer, but she hadn't understood its meaning at the time. You know, my mother took me to a ballet school And my ballet master told me one day that ecstasy comes from inside out. And I had no idea what he was talking about. But you know, in Auschwitz, it came to me. When nothing came from the outside, I still had my spirit that no Nazi could take away. On today's episode, we hear from Dr. Edith Eager, a 94-year-old Holocaust survivor. I'm Maya Shunker, and this is A Slight Change of Plans, a show about who we are and who we become in the face of a big change. An estimated 6 million Jewish people were killed during the Holocaust, 
more than half were murdered in concentration camps. The largest and deadliest concentration camp was Auschwitz in Nazi-occupied Poland. More than a million Jewish people were killed there, many of them sent directly to the gas chambers when they arrived by train. Dr. Edith Eager is here today to share her story of surviving Auschwitz. It was spring of 1944 when the Nazis came for Edith and her family. Edith was 16 and living with her parents in Budapest. Her oldest sister, Clara, was off studying piano in the city, but Edith and the rest of her family, her older sister Magda and her mom and her dad, were home for Seder dinner. After dinner, my father got up and and kissed us on our heads. And we went to sleep, and a couple hours later, big banging on the door to get ready, to get ready, to quickly, quickly, quickly. It was Nazi soldiers who were showing up. What happened next when they came in? The Hungarian Nazis were terrible, terrible. So there was not a kind word or anything. You you become like someone who's done something bad. It didn't matter what you said. It, it was no way out at that point. It was too late. We were taken into a big factory and uh, from there to the train station to Auschwitz. And... Uh, We had to leave everything behind. I have a picture of the dress that I wore, and um, it was a beautiful dress, and I wore it also a lot when I was with my boyfriend. Wow. When, When you and your parents and your sister Magda are put in a cattle car and, unbeknownst to you, are heading to Auschwitz, Your mom tells you something on that ride that really sticks with you. Do you mind sharing what she told you? My mom looked at me and hugged me, and she said, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away from you what you put here in your own mind. And that's exactly what happened. Everything was taken away from me. Hmm. When you arrive at Auschwitz, you are separated into two lines, right? So everyone between ages 14 and 40 are put in one line, and everyone else is put into another. And an officer named Dr. Joseph Mengele, the infamous Nazi officer known as the Angel of Death, asks you whether your mom is, in fact, your mom, or whether she's your sister. And instinctively, you answer with the truth, which is that she is your mom. What happens next? What happens after you tell him that she's your mom? He pointed my mother to go that way, and my sister and I this way. And I began to walk behind my mother, and he came and grabbed me. Never for, I never forget those eyes. And he said, you're going to see your mother very soon. She's just going to take a shower. Hmm. Later on, you engage with a capo, a fellow prisoner who supervises other prisoners, and you ask her, 
when will I see my mother again? I was told I would see her soon. And that's when she, she delivers this devastating news to you. I said, well, I want to know when will I meet my mother. And she pointed to the chimney and she said, she's burning there. She said, you better talk about her in past tense. She used that kind of a language. Everybody over 40, everybody under 14, were never given a chance. They were taken to the gas chamber. And my sister Magda hugged me and said, the spirit never dies. That's obviously such a powerful thing to tell you in a moment of acute shock and trauma and grief. And then to pile on top of all of that, you have to see your parents' killer again that night. You see Joseph Mengele again that night. He asks you to dance for him as a form of entertainment in the barracks. And you have this realization for the first time that... While your physical freedom has been entirely stripped from you, you still have control over some of the mental choices that you make, that you can reframe this dance in a way that nourishes you and helps bring you some, some kind of sustenance in that moment. C- can you share more about how you reframed that dance, what you visualized? I closed my eyes. And I imagined that the music was Tchaikovsky and I was dancing the Romeo and Juliet at the Budapest Opera House. That's how I think it's very important to think about your thinking because whatever you think, you create. The feeling comes from your thoughts. There's, there's this moment of generosity that you display where Mangala offers you bread after your dance, and you end up sharing it with the girls that are around you. Right. You know, I looked at the bread, and, uh, and I wanted to gobble it up, and then I looked up, and I said to myself, no way. And I shared the bread. It was one foot, one head, one foot, one head. That's how we slept. There were very little spaces between us. So we really had to cooperate, not compete. And uh, when I danced and I got that piece of bread, it was the best thing that I remember that I did with the little piece of bread that six of us were enjoying. There's this really beautiful moment you share with Magda where that exceptional quality comes out in you, Edith, where where again you realize that you have control over your mind. And so your sister, who had for so long prided herself on being the beauty in your family, comes to you. She has just had her head shaven by the Nazis. 
and she asks you how she looks. I realized then, as you realize now too, I'm sure, that I could point out what she lost or pay attention to what she still had left. So instead of telling her how she looked in her nakedness, I said, Magda, you have beautiful eyes, and I didn't see it when you had your hair all over the place. And she said, thank you. Wow, that is so moving. You got to change your thinking and look at a problem as a challenge and look at a crisis as a transition. I think it's very important to think about your thinking. Towards the end of the war, the Nazis forced the prisoners at your camp to relocate to another camp in what became known as the Death March from Auschwitz. And you had to walk over 34 miles. So many people died from weakness and illness along the way. And officers were known to shoot at anybody who lagged behind, anyone who fell behind. And at one point, Edith, you found yourself unable to keep walking due to extreme exhaustion. You saw the kindness you had paid to others, paid back to you during this experience, right? You had shared the small piece of bread that you were given with with the other girls. And in turn, when you were walking what you believe would be your last steps, they used their arms to create this chair for you and help you continue forward, help you survive. Thank God I did, because when I was in a death march, when you stopped, you were shot. And when a girl saw saw me, just, uh, I was so tired. And this is, you know, when, when I thought I'm really going to die, I didn't think I can walk anymore. And they came and they carried me. Imagine how the worst condition brings out the best in us. I wouldn't have made it if I would have gobbled up that bread. That giving is is getting. We'll be back in a moment with a slight change of plans. Should you send that email you wrote while you were mad? Probably not. Probiotics can't help with all of your gut decisions, but if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. Food choices, stress, or travel can throw off your gut health. That's where Ritual comes in. They made a three-in-one supplement called Symbiotic Plus with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. I make sure to take my Symbiotic Plus every morning, and I always appreciate that it's in a single minty capsule. Ritual prioritizes sustainably sourced ingredients and lower carbon packaging for its products, which is another reason I feel good about taking Symbiotic Plus. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slight. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash slight for 25% off. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. 
This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, NA member, FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Dr. Edith Eager was just 16 years old when she was put on a train to Auschwitz. She spent a total of eight months in Nazi concentration camps. After enduring what is known as the Death March from Auschwitz to Austria, Edith was on the brink of death herself. But then, on May 4, 1945, troops from the U.S. Army's 71st Infantry came in and liberated the people at the camp. An American soldier found Edith lying among the dead. He noticed her hand moving slightly. She was in terrible condition. She had typhoid fever, pneumonia, and a broken back. The soldier called for medical help and brought Edith to safety. For the entirety of her time in the concentration camps, Edith had been holding out some small hope that her parents and boyfriend might still be alive. But after she was rescued, she learned that the Nazis had murdered all of them. One thing I I so appreciate about how you share your story, Edith, is that you refuse to make a clean delineation between imprisonment and liberation. I hope you don't mind my quoting you. You said, I thought my freedom would begin the moment the war ended and the death camps were liberated. I didn't know that the worst prison was not the one the Nazis put me in, but the one I built for myself in the decades after the war when I chose to stay a hostage of the past, stuck in a mental prison of secrets, survivor's guilt, and self-limiting beliefs. You, you mentioned that you didn't feel suicidal when you were in the concentration camps, but it was upon release that that's when you encountered this profound depression. What was the difference? Because my parents didn't come home. While I was in a camp, I could imagine the beautiful meeting with my parents, with my boyfriend. None of that came true, and I had nothing to live for. No meaning, no purpose, nothing. 
And I talked about that existential vacuum that that you don't have anything to get up for. So we grieve over not what happened, but what didn't happen. When my granddaughter wanted to go to her dance at the school and asked me to buy a pretty dress, I did, a beautiful dress, and I came home, and out of the blue, I was crying. I didn't get it. What's the matter with me? What am I crying about? I just bought Lindsay a dress so she can go to her dance. And then I realized that I didn't cry because of that. I cried because I never went to a dance. And that's what grief is all about. Not what happened, but what didn't happen. Mm. I will never forget Auschwitz. I don't overcome it. I don't know that word at all. But I call it my cherished wound. And I have a special place in my heart, especially for my boyfriend who was killed a day before liberation. So not to run away from the past and not to run away from crying because when you cry, you get rid of something that will hopefully say, oh, I had a good cry and I feel better. Yeah, one thing that I think will be um, so important for people to hear from you is in your book, you, you mentioned one thing you can't change is the past. And there has to be an acceptance around that. And you talk about how you were plagued by guilt for so many years around that answer you gave to Joseph Mengele, right? Why didn't I tell him that my mom was my sister? That plagued you for so long, even though, Edith, you were a child. You know, what? how were you supposed to know what the outcome was going to be? But it is not uncommon for people to wrongly blame themselves for what happens. And so I would love to hear about how you found acceptance in that and how you came to, how you found peace in what happened. I think that is one very short sentence that if I knew then, I would have done things differently. If you knew then what you know now, it would have been a very different picture. My parents had tickets to go to America and they never used it. And that's why I think that would help everybody. Just one sentence and forgive yourself. So I like to live in the present. The question is not why me. The question is what now? Because the past is gone and the future is not yet. Wow. You ended up moving to the U.S. and, and trained to become a psychotherapist, Dr. Edith. Um, your, your life's work has been to help people who have had trauma, quote, escape the concentration camp of their own minds. That's how you've talked about your work. And what's interesting is that you've said it actually took you years to finally free yourself, right? You were freeing all of these people through your clinical practice. But to do that for yourself 
took more time and more work. What, what was that process like? I was talking to paraplegics, and one of them was, uh, why me, and, uh, and uh, terribly angry, and blaming, and, and um, blaming God, country. And conversely, I, I see that, that there was another guy with the same symptomatology, same diagnosis, same prognosis, and told me, hey, hey, doc. I'm in a wheelchair, and I can see my children's eyes much closer, and I was given a second chance in life, and I feel like an imposter. And I'm wearing a white coat, and it says, Dr. Eager, Department of Psychiatry. I went to school, and I went to school, and I went to school, and... That's when I decided I must go back to Auschwitz. I I revisited that place, and I started to cry buckets that I'm here looking at it rather than being in the ditch where I would have been in no time at all. I think it's very important to make peace with the past, not to run from it or fight it, and not to try to forget it. Because that's when I learned that life is from inside out. It's up to me what I do with the external circumstance. So it's very important not to run away from the past the way I did. I didn't tell anyone I was in Auschwitz, close to 20 years. If you ask me who I was, I would say, who do you want me to be? You become a very, very talented schizophrenic. It must have been so painful for you to return to the place where you experienced the most profound trauma a human can experience in their life. When I went back to Auschwitz, for a moment, I thought I saw a Nazi. It was a person in uniform. But when I realized that I have a passport in my pocket and that I'm free, and and I was... So glad that I was able to go back to Auschwitz and go back to a lion's den and look at that lion and tell him that I'm going to take my freedom and I'm going to stop blaming myself and I'm stop running around with survivor's guilt that even when I was graduating, Cum laude, I didn't show up for my graduation because I had so much survivor's guilt that I didn't deserve it because they were dead. And that's a whole new interview you and I can talk on is is how you deny your successes and not give yourself permission. Give yourself permission to go through the rage There is no forgiveness without 
going through the rage. Mm. And it's hard for me to articulate this, I guess. So I'll try I'll just try my best, but as a 16-year-old, you somehow had the cognitive wherewithal to identify moments, however small, in your experience in Auschwitz where you could control your own mind, where you took power away from the Nazis and gave that power to yourself. And I wonder how, did did that just come naturally to you? Did you feel it was an intentional act on your part? And and I ask this, Edith, because y- your mind is so remarkable and, and, and unusual in nature, and I'm trying to figure out if we can even relate to you. I, I've read your work, and I know you mentioned that your sister Magda doesn't share the same instincts as you, right? She would fantasize, I think so understandably, about getting revenge on the Nazis and, and murdering the Nazis. And I think probably more people can relate to her point of view than yours because yours is so exceptional. And I want to know for those listening who want to cultivate a Dr. Edith mindset, is there a way for us to cultivate it? I decided that they are the prisoners, not me. So I turned hatred into pity that they were wearing a uniform and they murdering children. And so the hatred turned to be pity. I ended up praying for them uh, in my own way um, that, that, that they are really the true prisoners, not me. Forgiveness is a gift that I give myself, that I don't carry the Nazi with me, that I don't carry the hate with me, that is really not going to empower me. It's going to deplete me. And I and I don't want to give another inch. And I want to live a full life. I want to have love and faith, and I and I want to have passion for life. I'm wondering, how would you capture the biggest way in which you changed through this experience? Uh, all I can tell you that I live in the present, and. I stay away from why questions because why requires a because and that requires to really know um, all the reasons why you are the way you are. So I live today, yesterday, is gone. Tomorrow is not yet, as I told you. And I am in the process of discovery. Not recovery, but discovery. 
the discovery of what's in me that doesn't hold on to the past, that does not ever falls into the victim's mentality. I was victimized. It's it's not my it's not my personality. It's not who I am. And I think that's why I'm so happy that my book is gonna be in my grand great grandchildren's living room. I have seven of those. And I think uh, that I can be a good role model to everyone to write their book. Edith, your book is going to be in my great-grandchildren's living room. <laughs> it's going to be in all of our living rooms. It is an unbelievable work of art and humanity and, and science. And wow. A lot of tears. Yeah. Every page has a lot of tears, and I think crying is very good mm. as long as it doesn't take you away from the present because that's the only thing you can change. Thanks so much for listening. Join me next week when I talk to Dr. Ayelet Fishbach a professor of psychology and expert in the science of motivation. She'll teach us how to set smarter goals for ourselves and give us science-based strategies to help us reach them. A Slight Change of Plans is created, written, and executive produced by me, Maya Shunker. The Slight Change family includes Tyler Green, our senior producer, Emily Rostek, our producer and fact-checker, Jen Guerra, our senior editor, Ben Tolliday, our sound engineer, and Mia LaBelle, our executive producer. Luis Guerra wrote our theme song, and Ginger Smith helped arrange the vocals. A Slight Change of Plans is a production of Pushkin Industries, so big thanks to everyone there, including Nicole Morano, Maggie Taylor, Eric Sandler, Heather Fain, and Carly Migliori. And of course, a very special thanks to Jimmy Lee. You can follow A Slight Change of Plans on Instagram at Dr. Maya Shunker. I hope we'll do that someday. That we can exchange philosophies and do a seminar together. Oh, that would be a dream for me, and it was such an honor. I look forward to staying in touch. Me too, me too, me too. Please do that. Definitely will. I love you. <laughs> I love you too, Edie. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.